joining the weekly Fashion Bites chat. We have a very um, exciting speaker today, John. Um, I'm Hillary, founder of the Fashion Bites platform. Um, we're here to support and nurture creative entrepreneurs, um, filling the gap between education and what happens in real life. Um, this is our way to connect, collaborate, and share. Um, for those of you who don't know us or do know us, um, we usually have educational panel discussion events um, focused on running your fashion business or your creative business um, with industry experts. Um, it's so important to know the different components of running a business and the many hats you need to wear from admin finance to taking out the, the rubbish. Um, John, he's about to join us. Let's just go back. <laughs> Hi, John. Hello. Hi. Thank How you. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, hot, but good. <laughs> Slightly muggy. Um, yeah. It's great to have you join us today. Um, please um, introduce yourself. Ah, okay. Well, my, my name is John Abate, and I have quite a few years of experience in store design and visual merchandising. Started out working for some big brands like Ralph Lauren, Levi's, Alfred Dunhill, and then started my own agency and, and retail design, and then started my own little brand <clears throat> with an indigo fabric, and, and, and started to make some menswear and some accessories. So I've had experience from you know, working for large brands, having my own agency, um, having my own little brand. And now one of my big passions is kind of smaller independent brands, which okay. is why, yeah, because I, I, to me, you can hear from my accent, I'm not originally from London, but we used to come to London a lot for inspiration. And I just kind of feel like in the past quite a few years, like London's lost that independent shop feeling to it so um i kind of miss that and um i want to use my experience and, and skills to to help uh to help smaller independent brands and startups so that's why i'm an executive committee member for um uh the british display society i'm on the board of save the high street and i work for a, kind of a startup retail design agency called north banks and their focus is more digital first, so uh, okay. brands that are successful online and they want to try to transition into the physical world, or larger brands who are looking for kind of a kind of a, a smaller retail design agency to give them something a little different that the big design agencies kind of I think are quite they're kind of dinosaurs. So um, <laughs> yeah, and I'm quite into the future of retail too, like where it's going. Oh. And, okay. Yeah. Sure. And, yeah, and in, in particular, um, visual merchandising, which is one of the things. Yes, we're, we're definitely getting on to that because we're um, talking about uh, customer experience today, specifically. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it'd be great for you to define it a bit. What is um, customer experience and why does it matter? Okay. Well, customer experience is your interaction with the customer, basically. How the customer experiences your your product, your brand, uh, your 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 shop, your 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 line, your collection, your service, how whatever it is, it's it's 
it's it's quite i know it's used a lot customer experience but it is just simply how the time they spend with you what is that time like <clears throat> and there's two, there's two parts to to this the one is kind of the silent selling of the visual merchandising side which is more visual or sensory driven where the customer is kind of on their own experiencing this without really any human interaction and the other part of customer experience is the part where they are speaking to somebody, interacting with somebody, being sold something, uh, being serviced, uh, whatever it is. So the part that we want to talk about today is more the, the visual side, the tactile side of okay. customer experience, which I think a lot of people don't realize really what, what goes into it. They might do it by accident. But the larger brands really give a lot of thought into this. It's really part of their strategies. It's quite worked out. Okay. Um, is customer experience another name for customer service? Well, not from my point of view. And, and only, in that, that, yeah. Oh, yeah, only in that it's, it's, it's silent selling. So it, okay. does, it, it does serve the customer in that, 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 or that they are going to make choices on their own without any interaction. So of course this is going to happen online too. So that's one topic I'm quite interested in is, is kind of the customer experience, visual customer experience online and how I think that really needs a revamp. And uh, I'm exciting to see so, that lots of technologies now, lots of things going on to make it more interesting. But really the customer is going to make up their mind without anyone talking to them. So they can, they can make up their mind on price, like, oh, that's cheap, I'll get that. Or they can make up a mind that I'm really – you know, we all have that experience. You walk into a beautiful shop or something, you go, I love this place. This is so cool. And I just, I want to buy something here. I don't know what, but I want to walk out with something. And so it's really trying to get that feeling. And all the displays and the merchandising and the way products are put, the way the shop looks, the lighting, the music, uh, all of this stuff gives you that atmosphere. It's like, it's like going to a good party. What makes a good party? You know, it's, right. it's lighting. Of course, it's the people that are there. But, of course, it's like, you know, what do you have on offer at the party? What's, what's the food? What's the drink? What's the ambiance? What's the music? What's the lighting like? You know, you know if you go to, you know, but that could be anything. That depends on your brand, uh, your idea, your personality. And that's what visual merchandising does. It helps you express your personality. If you want to be, you know, in, a, in an old garage, you know, and it's very, you know, dark. And, but you decide that. So you have that environment because you think – that's what you're all about and that's what you want to communicate so you want to put yourself in an environment that suits what your brand is all about and you therefore want the customer to experience that so it could be a very luxurious environment it could be a totally casual whatever environment it is that's decided at some point by you as the designer or the or the brand right so obviously um visual merchandising is a big part of the experience so could you please chat to us about how you create that story and where this happens? Okay. Um, well, this, it, it is really about storytelling. That, that, that's a really good uh, way, you know, way to summarize it. And it is, it is like theater. So basically you're building the context and the background for whatever product or service you're, you're offering. And that could happen in a store. It could happen in a showroom. Uh, it could happen online. It can happen, you know, in social media, and it can happen in events and pop-ups. So this is these are all the visual, tactile places where kind of visual merchandising customer experience happens, and it's quite a good idea if they're all kind of linked, if there's some okay. sort of 
you know, continuity between all of those is a common language because people are not paying attention to you as much as you think they are. So you need to kind of repeat messages across these different channels. I call it the blurred test. Like if you were to look at all the different touch points, visual touch points that, that you do, whether it's social media, if you blur your eyes and it, it kind of looks the same, it's the same colors and feelings, then you know you're doing something right. So that was a little, that's a VM test that we do for a brand. <laughs> it's the blur test. If you were to squint your eyes, can you tell what brand it is just without seeing the name? <clears throat> wow, that, that's amazing. I wouldn't have thought of that clearly because you're the expert. Just uh <laughs> one of the things about visual merchandising is that most people don't understand it because it's kind of, oh, I can do that. It's just a bit of fluffing around. It's just window display. Literally, it is window display. So <laughs> it gets a bad rap. And then I've noticed now that, you know, a lot of companies have laid off the visual merchandising teams. It's like, oh, this is not oh. the time to be doing that because, no. you know, people don't really want to go to stores. They don't have to go to stores. So if they're going to go somewhere, you've got to make it interesting and worthwhile for them. If they go and it looks like what it looked like before, but even more shabby, you're kind of on the downward spiral. So um, it needs to be, everybody needs to be upping the game. I know, I know budgets are gonna be horribly slashed, but one thing visual merchandisers are really good is we can make, am I allowed to curse? I mean, we, we can make shit look good. We're in a, we're in a safe space. <laughs> you know, that's one of the, a good visual merchandiser could take something that's quite ugly and just make it look fabulous. And that's, that's our job is to make everything look fabulous, no matter what it is, and no matter what your budget is. Sometimes okay. having a low budget is more fun. It allows you to be more creative. Yeah. Exactly. But then that would lead me into, um, tell us how you translate the physical experience into the digital. Ah, okay. Well, digital right now is really important, and you need to merge the offline and online experience. Yeah. Yeah, there are, there are some really simple basic ways to do that. Like if you're an independent and you just, you know, you have your little Instagram account, and you've got a little showroom of your product or, you know, if you're small and you don't, you don't have a, uh, you know, a lot of resources around you. I mean, the best way to, if you have, if you have a shop or a couple of shops, the best thing to do, I think, is to use your shop as your background. Like you don't really need to be doing studio shoots. Like why not? Of course, there's lifestyle shoots that you'll want to do, you know, in a lifestyle environment with models, but I've noticed this on Instagram, and I just did a little post on this on LinkedIn about, I've noticed on Instagram that a lot of people are using their shops as the backgrounds. They're shooting in the shop. So the shop kind of becomes the showroom. And why not? Why, why shouldn't a shop and a showroom be one? Why shouldn't the customer kind of get a glimpse of what's coming in the future or just kind of walk into a photo shoot or something like that? That's, that's, it's more interesting for the customer to be in this environment that's more kind of dynamic and more part of the brands, like kind of going to the back office of, 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 of the, you know, if the, if the designer is there cutting, making something, that's, that's an interesting environment to be part of. So, um, um, yeah, so that's. Oh, that, that's cool. I think um, for any business, uh, the goals are, you know, customer loyalty, satisfaction, trust, and these are all um, potential goals or building blocks that are important components for the customer experience. Would you agree, or is this a part of the ingredients that we need to make sure our customers are, are happy? Yeah, well, the thing is, how do you get them to be loyal? How do you, yeah. you know, um, they're only going to be loyal if they 
they find you interesting and their first experience was good and their second experience was good and their third experience was good. I mean, loyalty doesn't come right away. Uh, so loyalty takes time to build. And I think today, authenticity is really quite important. You know, you, you, have, a, you have a story to tell, something real about you. You're not just flogging something that was a copy of what someone else was doing because it was successful. You know, that's just not going to cut it now, except if your price is really low and that's why they're shopping from you. But they want to see real creativity. <clears throat> if you're a designer, they, they want to know that you designed this product and what, you know, all designers have mood boards. They, they think about what the collection is inspired by something. And quite often when we were designing windows for, you know, the large brands, particularly Dunhill, <clears throat> we would always like go to the designers and say, what's your mood boards behind all these collections? I can't start my job until I know what was in your mind before you even start to design this. And then I would take their story and carry that over into what I did. So there was, it's about creating, there's like a chain. So you have the designer, the creatives have all these fantastic ideas and design all this wonderful stuff. But by the time it gets down to the customer, have you lost that message? So what right. visual merchandising does is it helps maintain that message through the entire process. So we deliver that message to the customer because the designer is busy designing the next season's collection. By the time it hits the store, the designer's like, I don't even remember that. I designed that six months ago, a year ago. So yeah. I'm not involved anymore. I'm, my head's in another season. So our job is to kind of carry it through to the, to the present moment when the customer is going to interact with it. It's kind of, we, we, we grab the football, we carry, we carry it on. We bring it, that sounds a little dramatic, but we're the one who makes the goal. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really interesting because another question I actually had was, um, how much does the actual product or service factor into the, the customer experience when you're you know, working with the brand? Um, well, that's, that's a good topic because Going back to what I said is, you know, visual merchandisers can make anything look good. Um, I know this is going to sound counterintuitive, but sometimes the product doesn't really matter. It's, it's almost the story. And th that's what I really learned at Ralph Lauren. You know, Ralph Lauren, I, mean, I love Ralph Lauren, but every, you know, no one needs yeah. them. But, you know, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. And, uh, you know, the product is, you know, quite overpriced. Oh, for what it is. But, but, but a, a lot of what goes into that, you know, margin is all the yeah. they put into the image of the brand. I mean, that's expensive to build those fantastic stores and to change them. I mean, I don't know how often they do it now, but the props in the stores used to change drastically every season. You know, repaint the walls, re-wallpaper the walls, put all new props. We had a whole warehouse full of, full of display things. It was quite an expensive endeavor to make the stores mm -hmm. the way they did. And teams of people working at night. That's one of the things people don't really know about visual merchandisers that we tend to work at night. We're the elves that come at night to make everything look we're out of there before the store opens. So no one really sees the visual merchandising department. They're not really, they're in, they're like little fairies that come around and make everything look good. So people don't really realize what goes into it because they don't really witness them at work. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, so as, as a brand, um, what are some quick ways that I can work out that my customer experience needs improvement? Um, well, if you, if you don't have consistency across all your channels. So if you, look at, if you look at your showroom or any retail outlets and you look at your online, your website, and you look at your social media, and if there isn't a common message there, then, then you've got to do something to align those together. And that, you know, that's just 
your graphic style, your, your the imagery. It just needs to be, like I said before, a strong message, which is which is repeated over and over again across all your different channels. You know, and you could use the store in this, and you, now you can actually physically cross them all over. You could shoot in, you know, the, it, the physical and the digital kind of become one. The physical is 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 photographed and is part of the digital experience. And I think the digital experience, you know, I'm really sick and tired. I was from day one product shot in white backgrounds. I think that's something Amazon and eBay started. Um, right. But there's almost no reason for that. You know, you can photograph in much more interesting backgrounds as long as the product is still you know, the hero and people get more of an, an atmosphere of what you're all about. So even if you're just, you know, when you photograph your, 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 your item, you know, think about the background you're photographing it on. It doesn't have to be white background. I think the white background is good if you're, you then go into the details. Like they want to see, they want to see what it looks like up close, the details, they want to see the price. That's when they're going to buy it. They might see that white background thing, but that should not be the first thing they see because it doesn't express anything. Yeah, and there's no story. There's no story behind it. So if, if you don't have a huge website with all these videos and lots of other stories going on, if they're pretty much going to go straight into your product, then the way the product is photographed, and that's what I hope to see, you know, live selling will start going on. I think content on online, and this is kind of where retail is going, I think online content will become more interesting. And, okay. and, and that I think there'll be more of a change on the online content, the physical stores, actually. Okay. Well, that leads into the, the next question. What are you seeing? What, what do you see retail going at the moment and the best ways to respond? Um, well, I mean, retail is a bit of a disaster at the moment. So you just got to hang in there you know, and, and it's going to be low budget efforts, but I think that's okay. I think the customer understands. And I think, again, it's really about being authentic and having a point of view um, if you don't have one, get one, <laughs> you know, cause that people, I mean, it's a very crowded, that's one thing about the, the, the digital world. It's very crowded. Um, so having some sort of physical outlet allows your customer to experience you physically. So I think there's going to be more, you know, if you're digital only, you're going to probably want to do pop-ups or, or have events that are going to be physical somehow. Um, you you want to, you want to be able to find ways to tell your story. And mm -hmm. the customer journey has to go across all these these very various channels, and I think content will be more visual, more interesting. Short movies, like why not just you know talk about a product, you know a little bit, and have a short little clip about it. The same way that when you walk into a store, the 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 sales uh, the sales assistant might tell you a little bit about that product, and you'd be like, wow, that's fantastic! I didn't know that. You know that it's made that way. That's really cool. You know, so usually when you're having a physical experience, the the amount of information you're getting is is maybe a bit more. So how do you deliver that online? Because people on they're just you know quickly going online. They're not going to read like a, a whole you know big story about the product. But how can you just quickly tell something? And maybe it's not reading it. It's just a little video clip about it where you talk about it. People are more apt to go look at that than they are mm -hmm. than read something. So again, it's about being more visual. And then also it's really about personalization. So there's a lot of artificial intelligence for the bigger brands using data to, to personalize messages, to, 
do product selection, like, oh, this is what's in the season. And knowing what you bought in the past, they might project what you might be interested in the future. That's a lot of data-driven technology. But, you know, on a more personal level, level if you know your customers, you could do that. Uh, you know, you just take notes. You know, when, when people come in, get their get their emails, get get their Instagrams. And remember, mm-hmm. try to, you know, make – it's a really old-fashioned retailing, but they have a client book. And they make little notes about – about their customers and that that's personal personalized services nothing new at all yeah. but it's it's time consuming but i think it's kind of it's kind of worth it so you can have you can have appointments like if your stores are closed a lot if you have a service that's quite social distancing is difficult and a lot of people have been doing this they've been doing appointments so and then they're more apt to buy because they're not just coming in and browsing they've made an appointment so the the footfall may decrease but your your conversion rate your actual sales might might be okay for the amount of people coming in because they made that intent to come in. So um, being a stylist, like I've given advice to a couple of retailers where business is like, oh my God, so dead, but she's quite good at styling. So she's been helping their customers with styling tips. So she's trying to kind of remarket herself as a stylist. So therefore she has some authority and authenticity in what she's selling because she kind of knows how to put outfits together and things. She's giving advice to customers about that. So later on, when they do come back, they have a, kind of a more of a trust with her. And then video video chats, like what we're doing now, you could, you know, I know it's not so easy, but there's a few different companies doing things like that where you yeah. can, to your customers, you can you can text and video show live streaming. And have, <clears throat> I have one idea it's with a friend of mine. He does kind of a transvestite sh- dinner show. So I okay. said, why doesn't he do a transvestite QVC? You know, the, QV, the, the QVC channel is so, it's so 80s, isn't it? It's so, and they just sell, yeah. who looks at it? But what an opportunity to do like a new QVC, I would call it the queer VC. And, um, and, and it would just be hilarious to have, you know, something like that, make it, make it fun, make these kind of old fashioned ways of selling on TV or online, bring them back, you know, but yeah. bring them back in a really creative way. Yeah, 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 because it's relevant in a way. That's how people... Will, will shop. So the challenge is, you know, is, is, is how to evolve. And this is really the time to evolve. So okay. if, yeah. we've just, we have a question that's um, come in. Um, and I think it relates to having the message across all um, channels. Um, what if you realize you haven't been doing that on your social media? Should you delete all and start again? Uh, I, well, I know some people that have done that. They just started from scratch. Oh, wow. Yeah, they just deleted and started from scratch because the messages were so, you know, uh, mixed up and they were having pictures of, like, food. It was like a personal Instagram that became uh-huh. a business. So it was just like they had to cut, cut all that out. It, it kind of depends. You know, if you're uh, – again, this is the thing with visual merchandising. There's no right or wrong answer. It depends on – what's your personality if your personality is eclectic and you and your designs are a little bit you know um well no it doesn't matter if they're eclectic but if your personality is to show yourself and you want customers to kind of be part of your personal world um then you can keep all that stuff on there but if you want to have a very slick image which is very focused then you don't you don't want to have all these distracting messages it's you know is it about you personally which then you could have lots of crazy content or is it about something focused? Then you need to clear that up and kind of get rid of all that fuzziness. 
um, because it's just going to be good. People are going to judge you. They might scroll all the way down there, you know, right. so, you know, and they'll be like, but the thing is, is that if it's way in your history, it's kind of okay. Like, oh, okay. I, I see the evolution. So if there's an evolution to it, fine. So you kind of have two choices. You can start fresh all over again, or you could kind of slowly start to do it incrementally. You know, so, so the, the first few swipes down, it's consistent, but they go down further and it's different. That's kind of okay because maybe people don't go all the way down there unless they're really interested in you. So, it, again, it really depends how focused you want to be on what you're, on what you're selling and do you want kind of are mixed messages part of your, your communication strategy. Now, the people that have, like, deleted and started again, did that work for them? Um, it depends how much history they had and how many followers they had. So if, if you don't have a big history, you don't have that many followers, it's kind right. of okay. If you, if you have 10,000 followers already, that's a little like crazy to kind of start all over again, unless you announce to everyone why you're doing that. You know, okay. Yeah. If you're going, you know, we're starting all over again. You know, this is like, you know, it's uh, the Phoenix rising and then all the customers, oh, wow, that's crazy. And they'll be like, what are they going to be doing? Why, why have they done that? And, and they'll be really anticipating, you know, the new look. So you, you've, you know, if you decide to do it, it's got to be, well, I have so few followers anyway, and they're my aunts and uncles and friends. So, you know, <laughs> who cares? Or it's like, I, I have a huge following, but I need to do a reset. And, you know, big brands reset, okay, you know, they, they reset on a regular basis. So if you do a reset, you, 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 you target it as this is a reset and you kind of let all your followers know kind of why you're doing it and make okay. your reset really interesting, worthwhile of them staying followers. Okay. Thank you. Um, then you mentioned about challenging. I know it's a, it's a challenging time, but do you think that there's still new opportunities for, for businesses right now? Yeah. 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 Um, there are. There are. I mean, sales are, are not going to be easy, but mm -hmm. I think the opportunities to position yourself in where you want to be positioned, it's quite a good time because the whole world has kind of done a reset and a delete, haven't they, almost? Yeah. So um, it's a really good time to look for the opportunities, whether they're financial assistance or resetting your brand or there's, there's a lot of help out there. And there's, and, and there's a lot of people willing to give you a chance to support you. There's a local initiative to shop local. The, you know, people are much more sensitive to things now. So it's, there's a, I, I believe there's a window of time to do it. And okay. in, in a year from now, hopefully, like, we don't want this to go on forever. So it's kind of weird to have opportunities in a, in a bad time. But there are. And you, you focus on the opportunities that are going to come after the crisis. And so you're in a good position when, you know, when everyone is kind of back, but when they're back, they're still going to be shopping online. So if you don't have a strong online presence, this is a really good time to be building that, you know, um, because you've got the time and you can get the funding for it. So, you know, it's, it's a good opportunity now. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, there's uh... <sighs> There's a word they, they're combining at the moment, and I just wanted your, your thoughts on that. Um, retail-tainment. Yeah. Um, combining so. retail and entertainment. Everything you've spoken about, do you think that 
um, word defines it or is that something complete? Am I just completely off? Well, it depends how, yeah, I think, I think that is really relevant because visual merchandising is, is about entertaining the customer visually. So at a really kind of simple old fashioned level, um, like window displays usually, you know, could make people laugh. They could make you stop. There's a message in the window. So in a way, window display was a form of entertainment, just strolling down the street, looking at windows and go, Oh my God, those windows are, those are great, aren't they? And, um, so that's, kind of a small form of entertainment, but um, it could become more of an entertainment depending on the experiences that you have in store. So um, you have special events, workshops. So people come to the pop-up or the physical store for a particular event, and that is basically entertainment. They're, they're coming to, to do something that's particular and experience something that's, you know, that they registered for and they, they came to, so that, that they, could have, they could have done anything else that day but they decided mm -hmm. to do that. And they did, they're not doing it because they want to buy something. They're doing it because they want, to, they want to learn something new. They want to experience something. So yes, that is entertainment. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, you could even take it quite literally. And I, I mean, Levi's had a DJ and they're playing music. I mean, it was almost very related to what we think of entertainment to be. Um, so you could team up with online you could team up with a, a, a band or you know like the idea of my friend who went tony horniker the horniker center he has this cabaret show the fact that he could maybe do something that was kind of sales related to that you know yes right. why not have actual entertainment become you know a venue for for something co commercial you know why not right right okay so i know you have um several hats so um, please tell us about your your part. <laughs> you wear several hats. <laughs> your part. Um, your home, body. Actually, my wall at home. I have a bunch of hats on the wall. So, but I did not I'm, know that. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's a turn of phrase. It's a turn of phrase. Yeah, I have but your, <laughs> how, with the the British Display um, Society and Save the High Street. Um, what's your specific role um, in, with them, and how did you get involved there? Okay, well, with the British Display Society, we're rewriting the online coursework. They offer an online course where you could become a certified visual merchandiser by taking an online course, but it's really outdated, and um, it's quite a mammoth task to, re to rewrite it. So I'm rewriting it. It's a charity, or it's a nonprofit organization, so I'm not you know, paid to do that, but I care a lot about visual merchandising and, and students who are studying it. And I care a lot about it's the importance of it and the customer experience. And I don't want to see brands or people forgetting about it because they think it's something outdated. Um, right. They need to realize that the skills of a visual merchandiser, they, they basically they can style your photo shoot for you for Instagram. Because visual merchandisers usually have their creative and commercial at the same time. So it's not just a crazy photo shoot where the product gets lost. They're always going to make the product the hero and everything else is the background to that. So they have a slightly different take on styling. Mm -hmm. And so for the British Display Society, that's kind of, we need to kind of make the society more relevant. And, and most people don't even know about it. It's, it's like 70 years old. It's a really old organization. Oh, wow. Yeah, so no one knows that. So, um, you know, so it, we really want to position ourselves to help to, to be a source of knowledge because the board members are all people with 20, 30 years experience in visual merchandising work for Selfridges and, 
know, and, and uh, you know, really big established UK brands have a lot of experience. And so we want to help, we want to be mentors a bit in that. We almost want to offer a service to, to retailers for advice, but for the moment, that's in the plans, but for the moment, it's, it's really more about um, just students and, and supporting those students and trying to encourage people to study visual merchandising and support the universities and colleges that, that do teach it. So with Save the High Street, that's really my passion, um, you know, is, is to help little brands um, and independent brands just deal with everything. And they do a lot trying to help them with the techno side and lots of data. And my role with Save the High Street is more advice on what they can do to make visual merchandising an important part of what, what the, you know, think of themselves as a brand and even do like mood boards and mission statements and unique selling points. And think of themselves as a brand. So basically give them the tools to make decisions on their own because I know they can't afford agencies like what I work for. So, but, you know, it's kind of there, they fall between the cracks and I, I, but they need the most help. So, um, so with Save the High Street, it's kind of advice to independents of smaller brands on how to kind of do things, but teaching them like very quickly, you know, giving them ideas so they do it themselves because they're DIY people anyway. Yes, yes. Um, and lastly, tell us about um, Blue Handed. Ah, oh, God, a folly. <laughs> um, well, I, I, uh, I really became disenchanted with the whole digital merchandising world, actually. Um, and I wanted to leave it. Uh, so I had, when I had the agency in China, I, I just didn't want to do it anymore. I think we, we arrive at that like, Oh, I'm bored of this now and I don't want to do it anymore. I want to do something new and different. And so we quite blindly enter this new, you know, world that all seems exciting, but you know, it's reality's hit. But when I was in China, I didn't quite like living in China, but I discovered this amazing blue, um, very artisanal fabric. And I had the chance to meet um, a, a master who makes it. And uh, he's a living treasure in, in China. He's classified as a living treasure. So I thought I'll bring that to the West and try to get designers to work with this amazing indigo fabric. So I'm still, I'm still doing it. I'm kind of looking for a sales agent to help me try to show the fabric to uh, designers. Um, it's kind of ethical, sustainable, artisanal. And a lot of people say they want that, but the reality is a lot of big designers don't really want that. They're still buying mass-produced, you know, non-ethical, non-sustainable things. So I find that smaller designers are interested um, yeah. in, in buying these fabrics uh, because they want to have something that's meaningful and responsible, and they want to have a story. So they're looking for fabrics and things that have stories. So um, I, I'm still doing blue-handed, um, but uh, I want to focus it more on getting the fabric into the hands of designers and trying to see what they can do with it. Okay, amazing. Thank you very much. We went a little bit over our time, but it's, it's fine. It was great, Sorry. great chatting, great, great chatting. Thank you so much, John, for spending your time with us today. Yeah, well, I hope I said something interesting to the audience there. And uh, if they want to know more, they can contact me, I guess, through you or whatever, however, yeah. Oh, yes, and your details will be on online um, with us. So that would be great. Thank um, you for having thanks, me. No problem. No problem. Thanks for tuning in. Um, join us again next week. Our guest will be Emma McRae, makeup artist, chatting about her creative journey and launching her new product. Until then, bye-bye. Thanks very much.
拜拜。